Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. All right, we're very busy. Georgia's got a big day tomorrow, G-Day. We've been talking about it now for weeks, so you better believe we have plenty more to say about that today. Our final day to talk about this before the actual day of G-Day arrives tomorrow. However, here's one of the things I do believe. This is one of those kind of, you know, every man's got to have a code. Every man's got to have some principles by which he lives by. Here is one of the defining principles of my life. One of the things that I think that makes me me, one of those values that I probably put ahead of anything else. I truly, genuinely believe that no matter how busy you are, you are never too busy to stop for a moment and laugh and make fun of those lousy, stinking gators. That we may have plenty of stuff to take care of business-wise with the two-time reigning national champs putting the uh, bedrock foundation in place to go for three and 23 starting tomorrow. We may be very busy in terms of preparing for all of that, but we'll take a little bit of time here to laugh at those lousy, stinking gators here just for a moment because Florida had its spring game last night and it was a debacle. As much of a debacle as you would imagine a Thursday night spring game would be, Florida's was absolutely just that bad. A lot of UGA fans have been laughing about this on social media, and frankly, Georgia fans haven't been the only ones to be doing that. I saw where Lane Kiffin, who's never too far away from a hot take on Twitter, uh, he put out something last night, and so he showed, showed a photograph of the, uh, I guess, the video from Florida spring game at the time that that Kiffin uh, photographed this. In fact, we'll show this on the screen. The score was just seven to seven, and the final score was just ten to seven. So these uh, two Florida quarterbacks, having probably the the least exciting quarterback competition in the entire country right now, combined for just two touchdowns scored in the game. And Lane Kiffin took a picture of this and put the fire emojis in, sort of tagged the official Florida account on this uh, with 8.59 to go in the fourth quarter, just 7-7 seven to seven there at that time uh, between Graham Mertz and Jack Miller, the two quarterbacks competing to be the next Florida starter. There were also, I believe, a total of like eight combined sacks in this game there were three sacks i think in the first six plays if i'm uh remembering that correctly uh this was an absolute debacle and and frankly it's one of those things that makes us feel a little bit better because if you're a regular viewer or listener to this program you've heard us say now quite a bit here during the spring is that for all the attention you're going to pay to florida having terrible quarterbacks don't miss that terrible offensive line because they had a lot of attrition uh, from that group here thus far this offseason and quietly last year even though Florida's pretty wretched the offensive line actually wasn't that bad so from that standpoint uh the fact that their offensive line at least projects to be worse right now is one of those things you probably don't need to miss about Florida and last night we feel like that was kind of proven true so we sort of got that right but Honestly, most people in the Georgia fans were sort of laughing about the fact that there was just this grotesque ineptitude, Miller, uh, Miller and Mertz seemingly trying to one-up each other with every you know consecutive drive in terms of how bad they could possibly be. Uh, <laughs> as much as Georgia fans were laughing about that, Florida fans have themselves a real problem here because if that's the only two quarterbacks you have in your program in terms of being at a sort of a starter-ready level for the upcoming season, then well, you're in a little bit of a mess. So uh, last night, Billy Napier and wait, y'all, you got to hear this. You got to hear this clip. Like, tell me if you agree with me on this, that Billy Napier in talking about this quarterback position here and his desire to have somebody else besides Mertz and Miller competing for the starting job. Listen to how like broken down Billy Napier sounds. Listen to how like worn down that Napier sort of comes across here really longing for the glory days of the Sun Belt era back when he was at Louisiana Lafayette uh my guess is is Napier could zip himself into a suitcase and get shipped back to uh was it uh yeah Lafayette Louisiana he might be looking to do that here is uh here is Billy Napier essentially begging another quarterback to join this Florida program right now another reason why Georgia fans were laughing last night here's Billy Napier yeah I think that process is uh underway to some degree and I think we'll know more pretty soon that's what I would say in that regard. But yes, we anticipate adding a player to a team at that position. <laughs> he just seems so worn down by life there. And he's also taken about 75 words to say, oh, we need another quarterback. Well, I guess I believe what you have here is a situation where the uh, proximity of the play we expect from our quarterback is not where it needs to be. So adding a player at that position is something we might be looking to do. It's like, 
he's sort of speaking around and uh, you know kind of double talk whatever else but uh, it's pretty obvious they need another quarterback now you may be thinking well that means transfer portal opens on Saturday I guess I guess that like Black Friday they're gonna be first in line ready to uh, ready to get some doorbuster savings that's gonna be what Florida's gonna be doing but the sense you have coming out of Gainesville, that's not necessarily the case. That actually what they're really thinking about doing is this gives you an idea of how desperate they've gotten. The early chatter here is not transfer quarterback because if this spring is like the winter was, there really weren't a, a lot of high-level quarterbacks available in the transfer portal. Florida may kind of have a little bit of a sense that's not going to be true again this time either. So something we told you about a few days ago seems like it really is true they're trying to convince a recent quarterback commit that's austin simmons for the class of 2025 this is a guy who's a sophomore in high school right now he's barely able to drive they're going to try to convince him and it seems like he may be open to this to reclassify as a 2023 prospect and then join the team this summer i mean can you believe that like like this was a kid that was like playing with Legos like five minutes ago, and all of a sudden now they're gonna he's like Doogie House, or they're gonna like put him on the college team here. At least that's what they think they're gonna do. A lot of Florida fans are looking at that and saying, "Well, it can't be worse than Graham Mertz and Jack Miller." So it is truly a mess uh, at Florida right now. And you know when when uh, Napier says you're gonna try to take another quarterback. You know, maybe they add a transfer, but it sounds like some of the chatter coming out of uh, Gainesville is they really might be looking to get Austin Simmons recently uh, uh, committed 2025 quarterback to reclassify to 2023. He's from the part of Florida. It's called Pahokee. I guess it's called the Muck. And he, he's a left-handed quarterback, so his nickname's Muck Vic, which is actually a really funny nickname. I like the nickname. I, I don't have a problem with the nickname. But we think we think it's pretty laughable to think that Florida's going to be saved by a 2025 quarterback, current sophomore in high school, reclassifying, uh, reclassifying to be a, uh, 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 a, a 2023 signee. That seems like it'd be a little bit of a mess, but that's obviously Florida's problem. Georgia fans laughing about that. Now, let me shift gears to something far more important. It's the two-time back-to-back national champion Georgia Bulldogs having its spring game tomorrow. We expect it to be a much better show on both sides of the ball than what Florida put forth last night. And you're left to kind of wonder, okay, what does a lot of this mean for the defense on Saturday? Because I would say, and I've made my bias on this very clear, I just sort of believe that spring football, at least in terms of the spring game, not the practices themselves, but the spring game, G-Day included, to me that's a little bit more of an exhibition for the offense than is the defense. Defense schematically not allowed to do everything it wants to do. Georgia, in its case, has some very talented players who are injured, not participating here this spring. That the real version of the Georgia defense we may not see until uh, until the summer and going into the fall. Uh, there may not be a great showcase for defense on G-Day on Saturday, but that doesn't mean that there aren't some things that we're curious about seeing, especially when it comes to some young defensive linemen. We had Terrence Edwards on the show the other day talking about Jordan Hall and obviously some year two guys like Bear Alexander and you know on and on you go, you know, looking at what this young defensive line looks like tomorrow. You know, guys looking the part in their uniform, how well they're moving around, you know, what they do when they get those you know, playmaking opportunities that may be few and far between in kind of a G-Day format, but nonetheless, you get a chance to see some of that. And when Kirby Smart spoke to reporters last Saturday, I thought he had kind of a candid remark about really what Georgia is looking for from its defensive line right now, especially in light of the fact that Jalen Carter, who we expect to be at the very least a top 10 pick, if not a top five pick next Thursday in the NFL draft, the fact that he's not here anymore. This is what Kirby Smart said last Saturday about what they want to see from the new look Georgia defensive line in the absence of Carter here for 2023 on the field and then defensive line interior i think that we have uh you know we, we lost a really good player at that position but we gained depth because the players that were twos and threes last year are more ready to play christian miller's come along uh Tyron dawkins has come along and playing well he's not really interior but um bears playing better uh, uh Nas and, and zelo have to be careful not to be punching the clock so we challenge them each day. Warren Brinson's done a good job, and then the young freshmen are going to be good players. They're not where they need to be right now. Jonathan Jefferson's a kid that's given us depth and playing well inside. So I feel good about the depth. Um, do we have havoc makers and train wreckers? I don't know that we got that. You know, we we we, we got to try to manufacture that. 
Don't you love that phrase? Havoc wreckers. Uh, what does it say? Havoc wreckers and train wreckers, whatever it is that he says. Uh, I love that phrasing there from Kirby Smart on that. And obviously, Havoc Raid, one of those things we've sort of talked about as it relates to Georgia before. That's one of those kind of fancy stat analytic type things, you know, kind of combining your sacks, your tackles for loss, your passes broken up, you know, uh, things of that nature, your turnovers. And, and kind of telling a story for what Georgia does defensively. To me, this is one of the things that kind of made the 2021 defense for Georgia so special. It wasn't just the fact that it had five first-round picks. It was the fact that it had that level of talent, and it was unleashed to go out there and be train wreckers and havoc wreakers on whatever offense they were facing uh, in that particular game in that 2021 season. Last year's defense, although it was 15-0 and and part of a back-to-back national championship season, I don't know – that that last year's defense quite had that same level of personality now when they really needed it they had it certainly against Tennessee obviously the national championship against TCU and really even in a game like Ohio State where they gave up 40 plus points it was still getting four sacks in that game that probably gave Georgia its chance to win that so in spots last year Georgia kind of had the look of sort of a havoc type team even though in totality that wasn't a huge part of the statistical profile of uh, UGA last season so in light of that uh, to use this phrase that Smart uses, the whole idea of havoc and being in the backfield and disrupting opposing offenses. How much does that still matter to Georgia defensively going forward? Smart, once again, from last Saturday on that particular topic. We emphasize it just the same. I think maybe it was talked about more in the media by me, and, and it was an emphasis. It's still an emphasis in our positioning. We talked about it this morning. We talked about it today. We talked about it in the scrimmage. First scrimmage, we had like 13 14%. It was nowhere near what we needed, and we, we kind of – didn't do well in the scrimmage. Next scrimmage, it was 20, I think, 5% or 28%, which is over our goal, and we did well in the scrimmage. So it's a great indicator of success and failure on defense, um, and it, it kind of reflects offense too because, you know, we go against them. So Havoc hasn't gone anywhere. Um, Havoc's still there. It's a matter of can you do it without giving up explosives because at the expense of explosives, it's not worth it. Look, I don't know that it can be measured how much more Kirby Smart knows about football than I do. I'm more than happy to acknowledge that. However, that last thing that Smart says there, I don't quite know that I fully agree with that. And if, if we're on opposite sides of a football opinion, he's probably right. I'm probably wrong. I don't mind telling you that. But nonetheless, I've always kind of viewed those havoc plays, the sacks, the tackles for loss as a way of negating the other team's explosive plays. Because I'm a believer that, hey, if a team really wants to get a handful of explosives against you, they're going to do that. That's just the nature of offensive football in 2023. But if you can negate that with your own negative plays, if you can negate that with explosive offensive plays of your own, then you're in a position to win the football game, which I think that's sort of what happened in the Peach Bowl. That's a day in which Georgia probably gave up some explosives, but you know they got a few negative plays. They got some explosives of their own, and it's the sort of shootout-style win that Georgia found a way to win. That was one of those questions that seemed to exist about Georgia. You know, Could they win the offensive shootout? Well, the, the Peach Bowl showed you you could. And I would say getting a small handful of uh, negatives on defense that day really helped Georgia be able to do that. But nonetheless, it's an interesting answer from Kirby Smart. Now, to kind of finish up this topic here for a moment, part of the reason why I think that we'll only see a portion of what Georgia can do defensively on Saturday is because of a small handful of things. You know, Mikael Williams dealing with a foot right now. That's a big part of the Georgia defensive story, but not on Saturday won't be playing. A guy like Marvin Jones Jr. dealing with a shoulder. I think this could be a breakout season for Jones at an edge rusher spot. One of the guys could help Georgia wreak some of that havoc this year. Obviously won't see him. And there's a handful of players, incoming freshmen, who are lucky enough to get a chance to go through spring practice right now, but they are nowhere near the players now. They have a chance to be by certainly November, if not September, when the season begins. One of those guys, a guy like Damon Wilson, everybody would tell you, I think, that Wilson coming out of high school had the look of an edge rusher type that could make an immediate impact in his college career, kind of like a guy like Mikael Williams or Bear Alexander would have sort of made a year ago, if not even more so than that. But spring practice for a guy that was just in high school, that has the the effect of being a little bit of a learning process. And, you know, once again, Smart on Saturday this past week sort of talked about, okay, where is Damon Wilson in his journey and how close is a guy like this to being able to contribute to a defense that has a chance to, to use Smart's phrase, be a train wrecker, be, be a, a havoc wreaker, you know, be a, a real destructive force against opposing offenses. Where is Damon Wilson in his journey to be able to do that? Once again, Kirby Smart on the subject of the Georgia defense. Damon's growing up, uh, I think all those mid-years kind of fit in the same bucket. It's like they sit in a meeting and I don't know what they're actually hearing. Sometimes I think they think they're hearing, but they don't. And they go out on the field, 
and they're oblivious to what was said in the meeting. And he's not exempt from that, but he's not the only one. Um, so all of them, you know, when they walk on the field, the level of intensity and awareness it required to play winning football, they don't even understand it. They don't even come close to understanding it. He fits in that bucket, but he does have ability. He has uh, some pass rush ability. He's going to be a really good football player if he decides that he's going to work at it. And it's not going to come as easy as maybe it did in high school. You know, you're, you're, you're rushing against Amarius Mims. You're rushing against Ernest Green, Blasky. Uh, you know, some really good tackles. <laughs> he hasn't faced people like that. So he's going to continue to improve. I love the way he works, and he is not sensitive uh, to coaching, which I have a lot of respect for. So let me say it like this and see if you agree with me here for a moment. I think the biggest story leading into G-Day and on tomorrow's Saturday scrimmage, I think the biggest story is obviously what's happening on the offensive side of the ball, where you're trying to have a quarterback competition and you've got a new offensive coordinator who's about to make the decision, along with Kirby Smart, about the quarterback that starts. To me, that's the biggest story in place for tomorrow. But I do believe once G-Day is done, the importance and the top storyline sort of shifts in some respects to the other side of the ball because we know how important defense is overall to the championship formula that Georgia's put on display the last couple of seasons. And so once G-Day is complete, I think a lot of our attention will gonna will sort of focus in on that defense. You've got guys like Mikael Williams and Marvin Jones Jr. You've got to get get them healed up. You've got guys that Kirby Smart's talking about right there, like a like a Damon Wilson and others of these incoming freshmen. You've got to get them coached up, ready to contribute. And once the young guys kind of get more developed, once the more experienced players get a little healthier, once all of that comes together, I think you have a Georgia defense that has a chance to be every bit as good as what last season's was, maybe even coming close to resembling a little bit of what Georgia put on the field in 2021. It's a long journey to get there, but once G-Day's complete tomorrow, that becomes a big part of the story for the dogs here this summer, heading into the fall. Building a defense once again that is more than capable of leading Georgia to another national championship. My name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Kroger. Happy to have you with us, no matter how you get to us. Live on video, 945, first and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app, 10 a.m. after that. Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. On the radio at noon, on Athens Sports Radio 960 Ref, we are available as a podcast wherever you find them. Apple, Spotify, worldfamousdognation.com. Lots of ways to get in touch with the program. Just glad to have you using whichever avenue you have available to you and being a part of what we're doing here today and a big thanks to our friends at kroger for making it all possible you know we love the fact that kroger's been a longtime supporter of ours here at dog nation but i love most of all the way in which they try to work to support you you know giving you back more time giving you back more money saving you time saving you money something kroger's been a big big ally of ours in for a quite some time in fact they use creative ways to be able to do just that including the membership model that kroger's got in place that maybe you've heard us talk about before it's called kroger boost and for now if you've heard about kroger boost but you're not quite so sure that kroger boost is right for you i think it's time to have a little bit of an experience with kroger boost and learn all the ways in which it can put more money back in your pocket and give you back more of your time uh, make things more convenient for you and who wouldn't want more of that you can try kroger boost right now for free for 30 days which is an awesome opportunity to kind of get involved in something i think you're going to love you can save up to thousand dollars a year when you earn twice the fuel points and you get free grocery delivery uh there as well so all of that a big part of that kroger boost opportunity and you can experience all that for free right now for 30 days just go to kroger.com slash boost for more on that kroger.com slash boost for more on that all right we got jeff Sintel here coming up in just a minute let me take care of a little bit of business here before we move on the show though a little bit of housekeeping here for a moment first of all there's this i told our audience yesterday this is more for the video side than the radio uh, podcast side but our good friend ella dorsey atlanta news first uh joins us during the season gives us a weather report she was going to join us today for a fun weather report looking ahead to what i think it's going to be kind of a nice g day in athens tomorrow ella's a little under the weather today she's not going to be able to do that uh she did say to say hello to everybody and that she'll hopefully see you in Athens maybe tomorrow I think she's planning on being there so if you see her come by and say hi but she's not going to be able to join us on our show here today but we'll hopefully uh, catch up with Ella Doris from Atlanta News first very very soon uh, but she did send her regrets on that for today also as far as tomorrow goes I have not probably told you all enough about this one I'll make sure you are aware 
tomorrow is going to be very much like a normal game day for us. That means after the game is over, we're going to be live for the Dog Nation post game show at the UGA bookstore, second floor of the UGA bookstore, the way we have been for gosh, how many years in a row now. And so if you're going to be in Athens at the game, G-Day is a great chance to kind of stop by and do some of this kind of stuff. It's a little bit shorter game and the sort of avenue to kind of get in and out of the stadium is a little bit easier. So swing by and see us at the UGA bookstore. Either come just say hello. I'll be happy to talk to you and say hello to you. If you want to come by and be live on the air, uh, we'll give you a chance to kind of do a live call in with us the same way we take our Zoom calls. You can kind of sort of do an in-person conversation with us uh, for a couple of minutes. We'll make a line, let folks kind of stop by and do that. We've got a great array of special guests are going to come by and be with us there for that so that's going to be awesome and if you can't be in athens for the actual day itself but you want to follow along and then be a part of the conversation after the game just like we do each and every saturday during the season we will put a link to the chat in our various video platforms and then you can join us live via zoom for your call in as part of the dog nation post game show tomorrow so the point is it's going to be a very interactive Dog Nation postgame show tomorrow with folks in person there at the UGA bookstore, with folks calling in via Zoom, link in the chats, dognation.com, Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, all of that kind of stuff. We want there want you there to be a part of that. One more thing I'll tell you, and then we'll kind of move on with the rest of the show. I'm also looking forward to being at Sanford Stadium tomorrow because I guess I've sort of gotten a little bit of a hint here that the stadiums have a little bit of a different look to it. Obviously, some of this is related to the south side of the stadium construction, but there's a lot more signage that's been hung up here. Is that right, grammar? Uh, has been hung, hung up here for the uh, 2022 National Champions. That's going to be fun to see. My understanding is that the uh, Dooley Field sign has gotten a nice little refresher. I think that's been upgraded here a little bit. I think that was kind of a need, to be completely frank, and I think that's happened. Uh, a nice new look for the Dooley Field sign right there in the middle of the uh, north side of the stadium. I think that's going to be a great thing to be able to see tomorrow. I know everybody's excited about the new collaring ceremony for the brand new UGA 11. Boom gets his moment in the sun tomorrow. So that's going to be kind of a cool thing. So looking forward to seeing all of you in Athens tomorrow for a big, big day of festivities. Uh, some kind of cool new looking stuff there in Sanford Stadium and obviously a fun Dog Nation post game show when it's all said and done. All right, before we get Jeff's intel, let's go around the doghouse. Presented today by our friends at the Finish Long Drink. Boy, I love having the Finish Long Drink for us around the doghouse here today. It's a big part of the things I do around my house, so why not have it a part of around the doghouse here today there as well. And as we're around the doghouse presented by Finish Long Drink right now, I want to go to the other side of the ball for a moment. We just talked defense for a good bit a moment ago. Let's go offense here and our final look at quarterback a little bit before we get to the day tomorrow. Obviously, we're going to see a lot of Gunnar Stockton tomorrow, but the sense we've gotten is it's Brock Vandegrift and it's Carson Beck battling to be the next Georgia starter. So what's the process like of making that decision? And what exactly does it mean to be a starting quarterback for Georgia in 2023? A little bit different role, maybe, than what Stetson Bennett had the last couple of years. And as Kirby Smart said on 92.9 The Game, sports radio station in Atlanta this week, even Stetson's two years as the Georgia starting quarterback actually took on a little bit different feel based on the overall complexion of those two teams. So uh, I'll put a link to this full interview when I post the show at dognation.com later on. Kirby on the Atlanta station, 92.9, talking quarterback earlier this week. Take a listen. I think figuring out the identity of the team, what you need, what is the role of the quarterback on this team? Because it's not the same every year. I mean, right. you can define the quarterback position the same, but what you need out of quarterback play might be different. Certainly what we needed out of Stetson last year was different than what we needed out of Stetson the year before with five first-rounders. So we're still filling, filling all that out. Um, I'm very pleased with where we are at the quarterback position and who goes into making that decision. Um, the entire offensive staff, myself, uh, we take input from – from everybody, every part of your organization, you know, every part they 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 they're in the weight room. So we're going to talk to the strength staff. Um, we're going to talk to other players. We're going to talk to uh, our offensive staff primarily, and find out where we think we need to go to get the most out of the position. So I think that's really interesting from Kirby Smart there on the process by which they sort of make that decision. And as we've said before, you know, the process of winning the Georgia quarterback job didn't begin when spring practice started. It actually began at the very least at the start of this calendar, if not prior to that. The way in which these guys interact with everyone in the program goes a long way towards just demonstrating the kind of leadership they need to have to be able to do this job. That's just 
the way that goes. And Kirby Smart's pretty candid on that there in that particular moment. But as far as how Brock and, and, and Carson and even Gunnar Stockton, as far as how well these guys have performed this spring, how well these guys have performed this spring, what Kirby Smart has seen from this trio also this week on 92.9 The Game in Atlanta, Kirby Smart talked about that more too. Here's Kirby on quarterbacks one more time. Oh, yeah. I mean, those guys have done a great job. Uh, they've all taken really good quality reps. We've probably had uh, more depth around them to help them in terms of wide receiver and O-line rooms. There's times where you can't truly evaluate a quarterback if he doesn't have the right people around him. We've had a, a, a good uh, run of luck in terms of you know, not having injuries and having good numbers. When you've got good numbers at O-line and receiver, you can do uh, a lot with the quarterbacks in terms of giving them reps. One of the things I think y'all have heard me say over the years a little bit is, is if it seems like George is having fun, then things are probably going well. If college football at its very best, is kind of fun. Haven't you said the last two years here of Georgia football have been fun? Offense has been kind of clicking. Obviously, defense has been doing what it's been doing. There's just a certain hum, a certain precision to the way that Georgia's played, and that's really pleasing to the eyes. It's fun to see that. And we joked about Florida off the top of the show a moment ago. I mean, last night, if you're a Florida fan, to watch the offense really on both those two teams scuffling the way that it was, that's not fun. And, you know, sometimes the simplest points can be the truest, that tomorrow – I think the job for Georgia, whether it's Carson Beck leading what we think might be the red team or Brock Vandergriff leading what might be the black team or Gunnar Stockton when he's in there or quarterback shifting teams, changing things up, whatever happens. I think the overall job is to kind of administer the offense in such a way that it's fun to watch. If it's entertaining, that's probably successful. And I think one of the things that kind of gives you some optimism and some enthusiasm that that might actually be the case is that Kirby says, in terms of evaluating the quarterback right now, it seems like they're doing really well. And in part, that's because of the crop of playmakers they might have around them. And that's, I think, fun for tomorrow. We get to see Dominic Love. You know, we get to see. We've heard a lot about Lawson Lucky, for instance. We get to see him. Veteran wide receivers like Dylan Bell and Marcus Rosemey Jackson we talked about yesterday. And on and on you can go with all of this. Of It's not just a handful of talented quarterbacks kind of fighting for their moment to be the Georgia starter. It's also quarterbacks given the responsibility of delivering the football to what I think is, is about a deep a crop of pass-catching playmakers as George has had to begin a season at any other time under Kirby Smart. So to me, fun is a key word for tomorrow. Can Georgia go out there and make it look fun? Can all of these quarterbacks in their own way do that? Is this pleasing to the eye tomorrow? Is it pleasant to, to sit through and enjoy? If it is, to me, that goes a long way towards demonstrating this Georgia quarterback competition even if we don't quite have the resolution as of yet it's heading the way it needs to go when it's all said and done to a quarterback capable of leading this Georgia offense to very big things that is around the doghouse it's presented today by the finished long drink and by now you have heard me talking about the finished long drink oh so much and we've kind of gotten to that time of year which I think the finished long drinks really sort of made for I just love drinking the finished long drink outdoors and the truth is you can drink it indoors you can drink it all winter long but there is something about having one of those really, really delicious, ready-to-drink cocktails uh, right there in that can. There is something about enjoying that in the springtime, the summertime, that's just a little bit better. Uh, at a golf course or a swimming pool, back porch, patio, whatever you're doing, four different varieties to choose from. You got the Long Drink Cranberry, the Long Drink Strong, that's 8.5% alcohol by volume, Long Drink Zero, no carbs, no sugar. My favorite's the traditional, it's the blue can. It's probably the kind of the version of the Long Drink that most people know about. It's the grapefruit flavor, it's the gin kick. I just love the way that goes together with each other. And if you have not tried some before, it's time to try it now. Go to thelongdrink.com. That's thelongdrink.com. Kaylee Manziel, one of our producers around here, was telling me uh, the other day, I think that we had this on Wednesday show, that Athens, Georgia was one of the first places to get this as it kind of has expanded its reach and become available more places. And we see folks in Athens enjoying this all the time. And so many of you have reached out to say, B.A., I love it. I'm happy to have it as part of my life. So if you haven't tried it yet, do so now. TheLongDrink.com, great place to go to get ready to do just that. And it's great to have the finished long drink with us for around the doghouse here today all right before we are done georgia is not the only spring game of note for tomorrow we'll kind of roll through some of those inside the sec and 
outside the SEC there as well. We'll cover some of that with you before we are done here today. But for now, a lot to get to as it relates to Georgia recruiting. A couple of commits here in the last few days. We need to talk to Jeff Sintel about that. Obviously, there's always a distinguished list of recruiting visitors on hand for spring game like this. What is up with that? And a Georgia quarterback commit taking some time to talk to Dog Nation there as well. So we are fully loaded for a fun conversation. Let's do it right now with Jeff Sintel here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. Always a fun Friday. We get a chance to talk to Jeff Sintel, but as a precursor to being in Athens tomorrow, even better. So we're happy to have him as a part of our program here today. And Jeff, G-Day is on everyone's mind. So what do you say we start right there? For the people who you know have kind of gotten used to these spring games being a real magnet for elite recruits, what kind of visitor list has Georgia put together for tomorrow? Who can we expect to see in Athens? Good morning, everybody. Happy uh, Happy Friday. You know, Brandon, I, I wouldn't say, you know, obviously there's a lot of recruits who just like to show up and let their appearance be a big surprise. But, you know, you got to say this is – I'm not going to overhype it, overcook it. It's not a gargantuan monster official, like monster – unofficial or official visit list for this weekend. Now, of course, there are going to be some commits there. Commits from California. Peyton Woodyard's going to be there. Um, you're going to have a lot of, you know, really strong players there. Um, but, you know, those, you know, even like, you know, here's a good example. Aaron Butler. You know, dominoes happen in recruiting. And Aaron Butler, for the longest time, had wanted to take his official visit this weekend for G-Day. And normally when you get a G-Day official visitor, not it really is a precursor to something big. I.e., Justin um, last year the the uh, Notre Dame commit Notre Dame commitment um, Justin, who's now a, uh, part of the 2023 class of early enrollee, really talented Justin Rett, really talented down cornerback. He took an official visit while he was still committed to Notre Dame and basically decommitted in the middle of his official visit and then committed to Georgia the next day. Well, Butler, like I said, dominoes kind of happen. And with, and with Butler, we saw Georgia take a wide receiver, Nitro Showtime Tuggle, earlier this week. And, you know, Brandon, I'm going to tell you, the wide receiver of room for Georgia in 2024 can get a little tight, and it can get a little picky now with, you know, big things on the way for Georgia. So, you know, a lot of the you – know, you know what's funny, Brandon? Perhaps the one visitor that I will look at and think, wow, big, impactful, got to keep bringing him back. And I even – I even want to like hit my hand with a ruler like our great grade school teachers would or something like that. But it's actually a 2026 prospect, uh, Joaquin Stewart out of Louisiana. Um, he, Brandon, already looks like the part of probably one of the best 10 defensive linemen in the country. And he is a rising sophomore. He's about 6'5", 260. He was at the Georgia spring game last year. Everybody saw the viral photo of him next to Trayvon Walker where he made Trayvon Walker look a lot less imposing as a future number one overall draft pick. Um, so, you know, you see a lot, of, you know, a lot of, a lot of the, you know, commitments, you know, you'll see Malachi Tolliver there. You'll see a lot of the commitments there. Kobe White will be there, but some of the commitments tell me, you know, they get ACT tests to take or they won't be able to make it up. So as far as an official visit or an unofficial huge name with like what we're used to seeing for Georgia with like five top 50 recruits, Five top, ten top, one hundred recruits. I don't think we'll see that um, for this spring game, um, but there's going to be a couple storylines tucked in here or there. Really important visits. I think 2025 running back Usmani Chroma out of Lee County, uh, really talented running back in the 2025 class. I'm expecting him to be there. So uh, you know, Georgia, they'll never disappoint with the list. Yeah, on the subject of Usmani Chroma, it seemed like to me, and maybe you would characterize this differently than I do that Georgia wasn't as quick as offering him as maybe some other places were. Uh, and yet I thought as a freshman going back, what, two seasons ago, I thought he was uh, almost as good as any running back in the state at the time. Is Georgia turning up the heat on the Chromo recruitment here? Is that what his presence on Saturday you know, means? I mean, you know, Georgia seemingly has had a lot of interest in you know, national running back recruiting, it would seem. And obviously that's been good for Georgia. Kendall Milton's from California. Roderick Robinson's from California. You can kind of cite examples of players, you know, being from other places. You know, Chroma from down there in Lee County, an example of an in-state running back, though, that's done pretty big things in his first couple of years here at the high school level. Would you say that 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 Georgia is as in on a guy like Chroma right now, looking ahead to the future, as uh, any other program is? Yeah, 
I think Brandon, what he's doing right now is he's visiting a lot of places. Uh, this is a time when you know certain recruits do it on a different way or a different track. I know 2025 recruits who have already visited like 25 schools. I think Usmani now is the time for him to really start leaning into his recruiting. I know he's been to Florida State recently. I think he was just at Tennessee hanging out with Josh Heupel on their practice field watching Tennessee practice. Uh, and I think George is kind of just a continuation of that. This is the time where he's, I like to call it the research and discovery phase of a big-time backs recruitment. Usmani's going to have an offer from everywhere in the country. He's, he's looked like a, a guy with a Georgia offer when he was a freshman, as you were saying. He looked like a guy that was a junior with, with SEC offers as a freshman, and now he gets a little bit older, gets a little bit more mature, he's going to start making those visits that can really be impactful. I think this is a big opportunity for Georgia to show him just the difference in the Bulldog program compared to all the other places he's been, just by you know visual, just by the eyeball test. I think it is a good thing that Georgia has him for a spring game, and he chose to be a Georgia spring game rather than a glorified practice on a normal weekday. And then uh, I guess one more thing on this topic, when you talk about, um, you know, Georgia maybe not having as long a list of elite visitors, maybe we've kind of come to expect in a spring game situation. There are other spring games tomorrow there as well. You know, Tennessee's got its spring game. Uh, Florida State's got its spring game. Clemson's got its spring game. Is the same thing true for these recruiting rivals as well? Are, are they um, emphasizing their spring game more than Georgia from a recruiting standpoint? Do we expect to see the the level of visitor pretty consistent across the board? Ohio State spring games tomorrow there too. Do we expect to see teams like that with a similar level of recruit or are other programs kind of emphasizing this as a recruiting date right now more than Georgia is? I think what you got, Brandon, is I'm going to – hopefully this doesn't sound like a macro or microeconomics lesson here, but I think you're going to see just – just the evaluation of, this, of the spring game concept. What I mean by that, here's a good example. Sammy Brown's a good example. Sammy Brown, he lives in Jefferson. He could probably shot put his family car from Jefferson to Sanford Stadium on Saturday. But there's a family birthday. It's his mom's birthday. Happy early birthday to uh, Mrs. Brown. But and he's been everywhere. And when he goes someplace on a, on a normal, unofficial visit, Brandon, it's like an official visit for Sammy. And, like, you get that – FaceTime with the coaches, you get some one-on-ones, you get to watch a practice, you got to sit in the meeting room. But you don't really get that at a spring game. The coaches do have to go through the rudimentary procedures and parliamentary procedures, I guess, of coaching a football team, going through a scrimmage, and at least you know game day operations type stuff. Now, of course, it's not an SEC game or anything else like that, but they're a little bit more preoccupied, and it's harder to get that one-on-one time. Um with the coaches and the staff and have it be a really impactful visit. Like, I don't think, you know, Sammy Brown's been to Georgia. It's a great example. He's been to Georgia probably five, six, seven, eight, nine times. And for him, he's seen a lot. He's seen the game days. He's seen the crowds great. He's seen the national championship parade. He's seen the trophy presentation. I don't know how much uh, something like that will add to his uh, appreciation or overall overall radar when it comes to looking at Georgia compared to his other schools. I think a lot of I think a lot of schools probably need those players a lot more than Georgia. There's a lot of players, Brandon, that they want to have every the new model is they want to have everything done by all their officials, all their visits done by June. Take the first couple of weeks of July to think about it. Everybody's going to think about their commitment over fireworks. That's usually what's happening in the modern era of recruiting now. And then they like to be done focusing on a senior season um, by mid July. Uh, so they have everything wrapped up. And that, you know what, Brandon, to be honest, that's what a lot of the schools want too because they can focus on winning those big games in the fall. One big name, Brandon, and I, I wanted to try and give you a little bit more dangling keychain here at the end here. One big name that I'm looking going to be looking for is four-star defensive lineman Justin Green okay. out of Mountain View High School. I'm expecting him to be there on Saturday. You know, he's a top 100 prospect. He's a guy that could play that five-tech for Georgia. Georgia needs to get a little stouter in the next class on the defensive line. That's an, always an area of emphasis for the Bulldogs and Trace, Travion Scott. That's kind of one of the bigger names, more impactful names that I expect to be there on Saturday as well. All right, thank you for that. Good stuff. Let me shift gears to this. Georgia's had a couple of commitments as of late. I don't believe you and I have talked about either one of those as of yet. You want to go back earlier in the week, Elias Williams, the 2025, very impressive tight end prospect out of Charlton County, and then Nitro Tuggle, the wide receiver that you mentioned 
a moment ago. You know, Williams a couple of cycles ahead. Tuckle was a guy that I didn't really know really anything about prior to him committing to UGA. So I think a lot of us are playing pretty fast catch up here on some of this. So give us some thoughts here on both Williams and Tuggle, if you don't mind. Yeah, Brandon, I guess I'll go. Uh, as much as I know you'd prefer me to lead with the five-star, I got to go with the 2024 recency commitment right here. And that's uh, Nitrarion. No one will ever call him Nitrarion. It's going to be Nitro. And if Nitro Tuggle wasn't enough, his nickname is actually Showtime. And everybody remembers that part in, I guess, the Quentin Tarantino film, Django Unchained, where uh, the, the DiCaprio character says, you had my uh, curiosity and now you have my attention. Well, sure. that's what happened for me. When Terrence Edwards, uh, right after the commitment drops for uh, Nitro Showtime Tuggle, uh, Terrence Edwards says route running is off the chain. Uh, excuse me, the route running is good. Just the, the way he moves his body at six foot three, the yards after the catch uh, is really uh, undeniably strong for a man that size. Brandon, six three, one ninety nine, four four nine. I like how he scored twenty eight all purpose touchdowns, catching a lot of bubbles and making like four or five guys miss and housing it. Uh, I think Showtime Tuggle is one of those folks that. I think it's going to look a lot like Yazid Haynes did as one of those guys that, hey, if Georgia's taking a receiver right now, bump those rankings, bump those stars. They don't matter. If Georgia's taking a commitment from a receiver right now with what's still out there in the five-star market and the four-star market, that dude can play. And Showtime Tuggle can definitely play. Um, loves being a dog already. I don't know if you saw the tweet. Um, we love this foreshadowing Brandon you remember the great bulldog Lawrence Cager who basically propped up the Georgia offense uh that one season that he was there in Athens everybody will remember that great those great plays he made he made against Florida well Lawrence Cager I think it was April the 2nd he said man watch out for Nitro Showtime Tuggle he's going to be a real one I promise I take care of him Georgia so that the tea leaves were already kind of sprouting uh low-key uh social media about two months, about two or three weeks before prior to his commitment, and um, you really like what you see on film. Now with Elise Williams, let me let me hit the most uh, the most under the radar thought bubble here about Elise Williams. First of all, uh, he plays a lot of defensive end, Brandon. I know everybody thinks yeah. Hartley, and everybody thinks another mic drop for Hartley. Everybody thinks Georgia tight ends impeccable, incredible. I even wrote about it on DogNation.com. He's actually playing a lot of edge right now. He's probably, if you look at him in high school, maybe more developed as an edge rusher. He's 6'7", he's 235, needs to put on some weight, and they say everybody around him thinks he can do that um, to be another uh, Darnell-type tight end. But, man, played basketball. Brandon went up against a pair of seven-footers in the Georgia high school state state playoffs, state final four for Charleston County. And that's the main thing i got to say about Elias Williams. Yeah, he's a five-star, number one tight end in the country for 2025. But I know this will stir some hearts and memories when they think about Georgia taking a big-time prospect from Charlton County. Folkston, everybody remembers Mudcat Elmore. Everybody else remembers Champ Bailey, Boss Bailey, Ronald Bailey, the Bailey brothers um, out of Charlton County. First really big-time SEC prospect that that program's had in about a generation that's Elias Williams, and it's it's kind of funny when you were talking to people before his recruitment, and then talking to people after his commitment. You knew that he was eventually going to be a dog. I mean, Brandon, when he was at Georgia last year for visits, he was looking down on that field like I don't know it was the scene out of Field of Dreams Part Two, and you know, Tampa Stadium was just angelic to him. He loved every bit of it. You can kind of tell just the, how he took it all in, Brandon, that he was going to be a dog sooner rather than later, and it became sooner as Georgia gets a five-star tight end in the uh, 2025 class. There was an interesting development with the NCAA this week that it could have an impact on, if not Georgia recruiting, certainly recruiting around Georgia. I want to conclude our conversation by talking about that in just a moment. Prior to that, interesting story from you at DogNation.com this week, getting a chance to talk to Georgia quarterback commit Ryan Puglisi. Puglisi sort of sharing some thoughts on where things stand with him right now. Obviously very much subtly a part of this 2024 class. I understand also back in Athens, I guess, this week there as well. How did you find Mr. Puglisi? Uh, as he kind of continues to go through, uh, you know, his high school career here ahead of arriving at Georgia next year. 
Brandon sounds really determined to be a dog. Sounds ready to bet on himself. Um, I've written about Ryan Puglisi a lot since even prior to his commitment to Georgia last October. This is a young man that went through some kind of big life-altering moments, life-shaping moments when he was a young kid. That was the loss of a dear family friend to pancreatic cancer. And it really supersized in his mind that life is too short not to spend it chasing your dreams and the dreams you absolutely want to have or settling. And, and that's why, I mean, they could take – Georgia could take commitments from – Pat Mahomes Jr., they could find a way to sign Lamar Jackson next year through some crazy NIL deal, uh, air quotes. But, like, he wants to be a dog. He sounds like he's going to be a dog. And there's some conviction to this young man when he says those things because really he's going against the grain of recruiting logic where let's say, you know, the name in the room is obviously five-star quarterback Dylan Riola. He chooses Georgia, the number one prospect in the country, the number one quarterback in the country. Many look at Raiola and see a generational-type talent at quarterback. There's no way Ryan Puglisi wants to be in the same class with that guy. There's no way he wants to follow or be in the same class with that guy. But this young man, from what he says, not just what he says, but what he does with his actions, lends me to believe that he wants to be a Georgia Bulldog in the worst way. The development on the practice field is key. He's already asking the right questions the new offensive coordinator or restored offensive coordinator, Mike Bobo, about getting reps and how many guys get reps and how they develop against those future first-round corners, throwing to future NFL-wide receivers and throwing against future first-round safeties and linebackers and against the defensive lines that George is going to bring to bear in practice every day. And for him, his heart's set on being a dog. And when you listen to him and the way he speaks and what you know a little bit about his backstory – and what he's been through, this doesn't seem like a young man who's going to run from competition, especially when he already knows that if he chooses an Ohio State, or if he chose an Alabama, if he chose a Clemson, chose a Penn State, there were going to be dudes there the same way. They were going to be bigger than him and older than him and no more scheme than him. So he knows anywhere he wants to go to play big-time college football, he's going to have to compete. So he might as well as do it, might as well do it at a place that his heart is really set on. Interesting development in the NCAA this week, and this kind of stuff is always confusing because a lot of times, you know, news about NCAA rules is nothing but a proposal, and then it has to go through a thousand committees before it finally becomes real. But in this particular case, I believe this is a new rule that's now going to be in place. We are used to football recruits having a limit of five official visits, and hey, what are you going to use your five official visits on for those who do choose to take five official visits? But that cap, that limit on that, I think is now going away. And Jeff, if I understand correctly, in the future, uh, you know, recruiting visitors won't be limited to just five officials anymore. They can basically take as many official visits as they can get their hands on. They they now have essentially unlimited official visits. What kind of impact is this going to have on Georgia's recruiting efforts and maybe you know recruiting around Georgia, Georgia's recruiting competitors? What is this new rule going to mean for college football? Wow, Brian, that's a big, meaty subject, and that's what everybody in college football has been talking about for the last. 12 to 36 hours, there's a lot of schools of thoughts, and I'm going to try and take them one by one. Number one, I think it's good for the kids. Anything that's good for the kids is important. A great example is Fletcher Westfall and his family. I think they visited 12 schools in the last month. Those are all unofficial visits, and those are costly. That's gas mileage. That's time in the car. It's time off work. It's time in an airplane. It's hotels, everything else. Um, those are daunting. Um, and then you've also got the school of thought where I don't know if recruiting budgets can handle unlimited official visits. Brennan, got some sources in different conferences, guys on recruiting staff, guys on coaching staff. And the previous number was approximately 58 official visits. Schools were permitted by the NCA to give during a certain calendar year, a certain recruiting period. They're expecting that number to multiply by a factor of five. Schools could give 200 official visits. And as a recruiting reporter, you're going to look at that. You're going to go, well, okay, when a kid now says, I've got a top 12, then that actually means something, Brandon, because he can legitimately take an official visit to all 12 of those schools. Or for a lot of Georgia kids, they're like, oh, man, I can get to Athens $30 worth of gas. No problem. 
that's not going to be an official. We're going to take those officials to Oregon, to USC, to Texas, to Miami. That's what we're going to use those officials for. Well, now that takes that off the table. Georgia can be an official visit even though it's, they've been there 10 times and even though it's only 55 miles away. There's a lot more to that, Brandon. I figured out a way where recruit, if he's doing it right, you can take three officials in May, excuse me, three officials in April. You can take five official visits pretty easily in June because you can use a midweek. Then you can take, think about it, Brandon, with an off week, with an open date, there are 13 home game weekends somewhere in college football. Somebody's playing at home everywhere in college football. So there's 13 official visits right there. And then you can take two more in December. You can easily get to 20, Brandon, without even trying to get get really crazy with it. Now, what is it sometimes when you go to go to go to a, a big buffet line or a big Sunday brunch line, and you're like, okay, I can eat all this, but we really don't want to. Because think about this: if you're an important key part of your football team, and I know high school football certainly means a lot to me, Brandon. I know it means a lot to you from sure. what we're doing every Friday night in the fall. If a young man is taking an official visit almost every weekend during his senior year, that's certainly going to take away from his best football and his best ability to help his team. That's meetings, that's treatment, that's watching game film. And let's face it, Brandon, a lot of these young men, especially the linemen, they come out of these official visits like they're in a food coma because they <laughs> ate so much food. And it's, it's, it's like, you know, turkey pants with friends and Joey and Thanksgiving pants. You know, they're not ready for a conditioning run the next Monday because they, they ate everything they could get their hands on during their official visit during the season. So, for me, that really makes me wonder. It takes away a little bit from high school football, and I'm always going to have a, a heart tug in that direction about how it's going to take away from the high school game. And really, I think what you're going to find is a school like Georgia, a school like Alabama, Ohio State, the really big fish of college football, they're still going to try and do things the way they always have. They want to entertain in the month of June. June will be huge for recruiting. But they do not want to be in the business of hosting 10 official visitors when they're trying to beat Tennessee or where they're trying to beat, when they're trying to beat Florida eventually, Brandon, in Athens, Georgia, or when they're trying to beat a, beat a really good, uh, improved South Carolina team. They don't want that distraction. They don't want to have to deal with that. So a lot of these schools are not going to entertain 10 official visitors on a game weekend every weekend. I think if so, you're going to have to add a lot more people to the recruiting staff, the hosting staff, and there's going to be a lot more jobs created for recruiting in big-time college football. I think the staffs will be hemorrhaging, and people will be overtired and burned out. But the main thing with all this is you're going to see a lot of schools try to play catch-up, try to play catch-up with the Georgias, try to catch, play catch-up with the Alabamas, and this might be a way to do it. But I think, Brandon – in summation, I kind of feel like it's an overcorrection. I think the reason why the NCAA did this is they saw a lot of kids taking unofficial visits in the spring, a lot of unofficial visits before they could, and they decided to kind of balance the scales back in the student-athlete's favor. Sure. But for me, I don't really see, if you want to help the situation, take that number to 10, take that number to 12. Don't make it unlimited because some kids are going to take 20. Well, let me ask you this, though, and this, we can make this very, very, very quick, but – was anybody asking for this? I mean, are there large numbers of players who are like, oh my gosh, I'm not getting to take enough official visits? Were there large numbers of teams who are like, oh, if we could only you know, host more official visitors, we'd have better recruiting classes? Like, what problem is this solving? Because I haven't really heard that many players complaining about not getting to take enough official visits. Yeah, but for me, one of my instant reactions was like, they're taking a sledgehammer to kill an ant at the family picnic problem. And it's a market overcorrection, I feel like. And of all the things the NCAA could really dial in the screws and do something in favor of the student athlete, I don't think a lot of people were really asking for this. Here's a great example. Recent tweet on social media. This is Colin Simmons, the number one edge in the country. And he, he basically quote tweets the new piece of NCAA legislation. Starts July the 1st. Unlimited, if, the, if there's the event of a, a coaching change, you can take a duplicate official visit to the same school, but it's unlimited, and you can take uh, one official visit per school. And what Colin Simmons said, he's got a hard decision with LSU, Florida, Texas, Texas A&M. Georgia. A lot of big schools on the radar, Georgia. Georgia. <laughs> he, he basically said, thank God I didn't, thank God I didn't set, set my top five yet. 
because I didn't release my top five yet. So now he doesn't have to worry about which top five, which official visits, and he can go on with that. It's going to get crazy, I think, Brennan. I don't know if anybody was asking for it, but for me, I think it really devalues the official visit when you know a kid's going to take 15 more. And here's what I think happens, Brandon. You know how some we hear with Georgia a lot that if a player comes to Georgia asking for NIL right out of the gate, then maybe that's not going to be the best fit. Georgia wants its players to earn that NIL money first. I think if there's a kid that's entertaining and taking official visits to 10, 12, 15 schools, maybe that's not going to be the right fit between Georgia and that perspective student-athlete as well. Yeah, that could be the case. It's a fascinating you know, I guess new landscape and a little bit tricky to kind of figure out how it's all going to you know bounce around here. So uh, good information from you there on that, Jeff. Looking forward to seeing you in Athens tomorrow for G Day, and obviously following all the recruiting news that comes out of that, and certainly following the news as it head towards heads towards a very very busy month of June in the summertime where Georgia is going to be looking to put together an elite class of 2024. So Jeff, we'll be excited about all of that when it comes around. We'll look forward to seeing you very soon here on board Independence of the Seas as well for our Dog Nation cruise and talk to you again here next time. All right guys, happy Friday everybody. Hope to see everybody in Athens and safe travels back and forth this weekend. Uh, good stuff, Jeff. Thanks a lot. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. Yeah, let me just say this real quick about the whole visit thing there because, you know, one of the things that Jeff mentioned is, well, you know, if you're taking unofficial visits a lot, then you're having to pay your own way for that, at least theoretically. And uh, obviously unlimited official visits could take some of the financial burden off the families who want to travel around a little bit. Okay, well, that's fine. But as Jeff pointed out, the rule also prohibits you from taking more than one official visit per school. So let's say you're blah, 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 five-star and you're really interested in going to just say georgia for instance and you know you come to three different games right we see that happen from time to time that's a lot of the ways we know so and so is really interested in in so and so school because they do visit several times during the season well only one of those gets to count as official visit even though you've got unlimited official visits uh you don't have unlimited official visits to maybe the school that you prefer to go to. So if you choose to take a lot of unofficials, you're still going to be at least theoretically on the hook for paying for those when you go back to the same school over and over again. So as I said a moment ago, I'm not really quite so sure which problem this is supposed to solve. And as far as what I think should ultimately be the goal for recruits, whether you be a Georgia fan who wants the very best players or a fan of a specific recruit and hopes that he chooses the very best school for him, I honestly don't believe that more official visits makes that process better. I really don't. I think that, you know, look, decision making is about disqualifying. You disqualify options. And to say all of a sudden now I can take 30 official visits or 20 official visits or even double digit official visits. I think that's a good way to get visit fatigue. I think that's a good way to get, you know, kind of cloudy uh, picture on what's going on and have a hard time sort of separate. I mean, if you've ever bought a house, you know this. You know, when you go around shopping for that, you know, that new home, by the time you've seen four or five homes, I don't know that seeing another 10 homes gives you a better home than the first four or five that you saw. If you have, you know, really well-defined, you know, criteria that that at a certain point, seeing more options only makes things more confusing, not less confusing. So this is an example of the NCAA sort of doing what it does. I think kind of grandstanding of, hey, look how pro player we are. We're going to do this nice thing for players. But I'm not really quite so sure this benefits players all that much. And I, I will tell you this. I know we live in an NIL age, and there are obviously a lot of recruits who value that as a part of their recruiting process. You can understand why they would when you're talking about you know, putting cold, hard cash in your pocket. I do get all of that. But if we're moving in kind of a day and age in which, hey, it's the offer on the table, financially speaking, that's going to sway me more so than the experience I'm getting from somewhere on campus – if we're moving in that direction, I think we're going to move into a direction where more and more college players are going to regret the decision they make. I guess that's why the transfer portal exists, I guess. But, you know, there is something to be said for making the right decision at the forefront so you don't have to make a second decision after that's all said and done. And I'm not quite so sure that some of this new stuff rule-wise is helping all that take place. But nonetheless, uh, let's get ready to go cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. As I said to Jeff Sintel there a moment ago, getting very excited about seeing him and so many of you on board Independence of the Seas. April 24th through the 28th, we're going to be on board there. Uh, out of Port Canaveral, going to NASA on the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay. Uh, starting to have a lot of conversations internally about some of the special 
dog nation themed events we're going to be doing on this cruise and that's one of the things that excites me it's like y'all know how much i love the royal caribbean cruise ships and the experiences you have on board but it's the special dog nation events we're able to provide on this cruise which i'm really really excited about and i will tell you that it is time it's you know it's it's definitely time to start thinking about your own royal caribbean cruise vacations for this upcoming summer it's time to start sort of getting that vacation time plan squared away and looking at the option for you whether you want the seven night sailing on the oasis class ship and kind of the full experience of everything that royal caribbean has to offer you want to do something i'm going to be doing later on this summer taking a quick three night getaway over the course of a weekend just sort of quick in and out to get a nice taste of what uh royal caribbean has to do or uh, you want the kind of the same format of our Dog Nation cruise, the four-night deal where you uh, leave out on a Monday, you come back on a Friday. You know, you're not you know gone too long for people who have kind of a lot going on right now, but you do want the Royal Caribbean cruise experience. Lots of different itineraries, lots of different ports. You know, for me, Port Canaveral right there, just sort of down the road from Orlando is the most convenient. But for something for some of you, maybe it's Fort Lauderdale or Miami. Maybe it's you know flying to somewhere like that that kind of makes the most sense for you. Whatever the option is for you, our great travel agent friend Jessica Slater can help you with it. You can give her a call 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. She can talk you through everything, including the video, for those of you watching on video that you're seeing on your screen, the debut of Icon of the Seas. Uh, this upcoming January, January of 2024, boy, I hope I get a chance to be on that sometime soon and tell you more about that. And uh, Jessica can help you with all of that there as well. Uh, we have a busy crop of spring games in addition to Georgia on Saturday. So let's run through a few of these here right now. And there's all kinds of streaming Internet options and things like that to see some of this. I'm going to let you consult your local listings in terms of how you actually watch some of this kind of stuff. But no doubt we'll be paying close attention to this. Let me throw this on the screen here for a minute. We'll kind of roll through some of these. Ohio State spring game is at noon tomorrow this is obviously uh, a lot about the new quarterback there the uh, next in line after cj stroud that's a lot of what we're going to see uh, taking place there in columbus here and i i think it's going to be interesting to see because obviously ohio state's going to be one of those teams that once again ranked somewhere in that sort of top three top five probably top three at least for the upcoming season but obviously finding a, a next quarterback after cj stroud the next job here for ryan day now listen you can say a lot about day you can say a lot about the buckeyes you know we're not big fans of theirs especially after they've behaved the way they have post peach bowl but the one thing ohio state always seems to have is a good quarterback there's a quarterback driven program and obviously seeing what they put on display quarterback tomorrow going to be a pretty big deal clemson 1 p.m and you know look spring games are to a degree kind of vanilla the very best of your game plan probably not on display in a situation like this but it is the start of the garrett riley era as clemson offensive coordinator and i don't think there was a more significant move made this offseason even though georgia made an offensive coordinator hire and bama hired two coordinators and you know some programs even hired head coaches in the midst of all of this i don't know there was a more significant offseason move than Clemson bringing in Garrett Riley. Upgrade, I believe, over what Brandon Streeter had been. No disrespect to him. He's now on the Georgia staff. But the Clemson offense just wasn't functioning very well last year. And Clemson's kind of lost offensive coordinators a couple times. And, you know, Dabo, previous to this, has been pretty content to kind of hire from within and kind of promote a guy that he knows and sort of kind of keeping Clemson Clemson, if you will. And eventually it just sort of became obvious they needed an outside voice and so that's what riley has a chance to provide now i don't know what kind of sell it was for clemson fans knowing he only scored seven points and lost 65 to 7 in his last game at his old school tcu but nonetheless the brother of lincoln riley garrett riley now at clemson i think that's a pretty big deal and i think that makes clemson one of the more interesting teams for the upcoming season we'll see a glimpse of them at 1 p.m tomorrow quarterback competition on display there as well at texas that's 2 p.m eastern time it's Quinn Ewers versus Arch Manning. The sense that I get is that Quinn Ewers is going to win this competition. Now, listen, I've been wrong before. Maybe I end up being wrong about this. But for all the energy and the hype that exists around Arch Manning, it seems like his time might be more in the future on that. And one of the things I've kind of guessed out loud on, this is more just uh, a little bit of a hypothesis, but in kind of the NIL world in which we live in now, I'm starting to wonder if quarterbacks might be a little bit more willing to kind of sit that first year. Whereas in the past, hey, you know, if you're a big time five star quarterback, if you were top recruit in the country, you stepped on the field, you're ready to play. And if you weren't ready, if you weren't playing, then you were kind of looking around. We've had our own experience of that 
here at Georgia uh, a, a little bit. Well, now, you know, if you're getting a big NIL check or something like that, then you may be content to say it's your money. If you want to pay me to sit me, then I'll sit here and wait for a year. You know, do we see a little bit more patience on the part of young quarterbacks who don't win starting jobs? Uh, Quinn Ewers obviously had some nice moments for Texas a year ago, not always consistently, but for instance, he played very well in the Alabama game. That was a game Texas had a chance to win. Ewers, one of the reasons they had a shot to do that. So the sense that we get for right now is that Ewers is probably ahead of Manning, but we'll see with our own eyes tomorrow. Similar situation at Tennessee. We're at 2.30 tomorrow. Uh, you'll get the freshman quarterback, Nico Imaleva, a little bit of a look at him. I think this is Joe Milton's job to begin the year. However, it would not surprise me if Nico doesn't emerge at some point in time during the year. And I only say that because, you know, Joe Milton had a chance to be Tennessee starting quarterback a couple of years ago, could not do that. Eventually lost out to Hendon Hooker. So this is a guy that, you know, kind of left Michigan because he was out of favor, uh, had kind of first crack at being Tennessee starting quarterback and kind of lost out on that too. Can he hold off Nico, the we think highly paid and certainly highly touted freshman uh, quarterback, uh, you know, recruit. That'll be that'll be interesting to see, and we'll obviously see some of that play out uh, at the spring game tomorrow. And don't forget, you know, we told you this yesterday. Right now, early look ahead line has Georgia has only about a seven and a half point favorite at Tennessee in November. So whether it be Milton or whether it be Imaleva at the quarterback spot. Georgia-Tennessee does shape up to be the biggest regular season game that Georgia's going to play this season. A little bit of a preview of the Vols coming tomorrow. Then finally, it's USC at 3 p.m. I don't care tons about that necessarily. That's too far away, and they don't play enough defense to be on Georgia's radar. I think Florida State at 4 p.m., though, could be interesting. Jordan Travis is obviously one of the sort of well-known stars for the upcoming year. And listen, there is a chance that Florida State is very good for this upcoming year. There really is. Now, sometimes the team that is in Florida State's position that gets a lot of the offseason hype. They end up being a little bit of a false positive once real games begin. But uh, Florida State was probably tougher than some folks even realized a year ago. Power rating-wise, if you care about like Vegas power ratings and things like that, they were they were top 10, top 5 in some people's books a lot last year. Um, if you think about you know the teams that would have been the – you know the the most narrow underdogs to Georgia. Believe it or not, last year Florida State would have actually kind of been on that list of. You know there were a lot of teams that have been much bigger underdogs against Georgia than Florida State would have been. Florida State maybe somewhere in that nine point range maybe a year ago. So this was a pretty good team on paper a year ago. Have a chance to kind of come back and be uh, even better maybe this year. Obviously one of the biggest week one games is LSU uh, Florida State. That game's in Orlando this year. So that's going to be fun, I think. And uh, we get a chance to see a little bit of the Seminoles tomorrow there as well. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean. Of course, the thing we care most about is G-Day. Looking forward to seeing all of you there tomorrow, for those of you going to be there. If you can't be there, join us live for our Dog Nation post-game show immediately after the game. We'll take your calls via Zoom on that. Of course, we'll be right there at the UGA Bookstore, and Dog Nation will have coverage for you all day long there as well. You can read it at dognation.com and see everything that goes on. And, of course, we'll be back to talk to you about it again on Monday there as well. However, before we close out today's show, let's give you a golden shoe. And this one is funny. needs some explanation. So... Uh, Lee Ringo on Twitter caught Greg McElroy talking about Tommy Reese, the new uh, Alabama offensive coordinator. And according to Ringo, McElroy said Tommy Reese wants to step on your face with a hobnail boot. That's who he is. First of all, have you ever seen Tommy Reese's offense step on anybody with a hobnail boot? I'm not even sure that's accurate description of the part of McElroy, but it is certainly copyright infringement, as our buddy Mike the Mad Dog points out and then tags me on. He says to Greg McElroy, be original and stop stealing quotes from the late, great Larry Munson. Uh, and so he's got Larry Munson uh, saying, Greg McElroy stealing my material. This is actually really funny and well done by Mad Dog and uh, kind of a funny online exchange all the way around. So we'll just sort of give a array of golden shoes out for that and pretty funny way to close out our week here today. By the way, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, they got 197 days to figure out their quarterback situation is going to look like before Georgia drags them up and down the field there in Jacksonville one more time. That is our Gator Hater Countdown. Hope you all have a great weekend, G-Day especially. We'll see you in Athens tomorrow. And then back here on Monday for Dog Nation Daily, presented by Kroger.